church. Give it up for Jesus. Definitely not me. It's all about him. Amen? You know, I got to say that I was uh, listening to the second song, I think it is, that we did this morning, and that um, part that says, um, your goodness is running after. Do you all remember when we were kids and our parents would run around the house trying to catch us? You remember that? How many of us do it with our own kids or grandkids? I know I've done it with all my five grandkids. You know, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You run around the house. And I had this picture in my mind, and the Lord deals with me sometimes that way, uh, where I pictured Jesus running after me and me looking back and <laughs> giggling, you know. Um, but that's, you know, that's how I'm, my brain is wired. I just feel like, you know, the Lord speaks to me in, in, in certain funny ways. And that, to me, uh, touched my heart when we were singing that because I felt like, my goodness is running after you. I'm catching up to you. <laughs> Amen. God is good. It's, God is so good. Well, thank you for the warm welcome. Thank you for so many of you that have reached out to me and and just uh, encouraged uh, me with uh, the message that was brought last weekend. Uh, I know it's not fun sometimes to uh, hear some of the words that Jesus speaks to some of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, but how many of you know that they are needed? Amen. Uh, pastors included, I will have you know, because we are not exempt. Amen. Um, I want to thank once again uh, pastors uh, Jason and Alex for entrusting me their pulpit. I'll have you know that it is uh, a serious matter to entrust someone with the pulpit of their church. And so I don't take that for granted. I want to thank them publicly. Um, your pastors are amazing pastors. Let's give it up for them. Amen. I am, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for their friendship again. Well, last week we covered the first part of the message to the church in Sardis. Do you all remember? If you were not here uh, last week, you can hear it on Waterview's podcast. How many of you got an opportunity to hear it on Waterview's podcast? Okay, you see, that was not me. That was Joyce Meyer. I say that because it was awfully deep, the voice, right? And it, it didn't sound too, too much like me. And it was kind of funny because I shared it with my sister. And my sister-in-law said, send me the message. I want to hear it. And when I sent it to them, I said, all right, well, be aware. Uh, that doesn't sound like me. And so they came back laughing and making jokes and all that. And they were like, no, it was a great message. But it was weird at first, you know, but... Um, I know that uh, these guys back there in the media department do an amazing job, so I'm very grateful for them. Amen? Yeah, let's do that. Trust me. <laughs> Pastor Ricky and I are very aware of the work of the media department, and they're awesome. Um, so today we're going to conclude part two in this message, and uh, if you recall, I entitled it, Look Out for Foundational Cracks. Amen? And, and can we do that one more time? Can you look at the person next to you and tell them, look out, right? And then the next one over there, remember, you ignore some people sometimes for a reason. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just look out, look out. I realize today is what we call Palm Sunday, right? Um, this is the time where Jesus um, 
went into the city of Jerusalem and he was on a donkey and we know that the palm branches were thrown at his feet and uh, we, we know it as Palm Sunday and we look ahead to Resurrection Sunday and all of you have been talking about that for a number of weeks. Uh, I do encourage you to invite people to come to church. You know, it's the best time to invite. Uh, I think that now during this season as well as Christmas, you know, it's one of those high attendance rates for churches and that's a good thing because we can uh, reach people for the gospel of Jesus. Amen. So in a way, this message is a good setup uh, for us to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we've been discussing, uh, if you recall, some things that we find in the message given to the church in Sardis and how that relates in our walk with God. Amen. Uh, remember now, I, I need some of your feedback. Like I said last week, maybe of you, some of you were not here, but I'm a, I'm a born and raised Miamian, and we tend to be loud sometimes. Come on, somebody. Amen. Where are my Latinos in the house? Amen. Okay, amen, aleluya, gloria a Dios. If you want to stand up and shout, that's okay, right? That's okay. So the Bible tells us that in the week leading up to the resurrection, one moment, you all know the story, they were praising Jesus, amen? And then the next, they were calling for his crucifixion. Last week and today serves as a good reminder not to waver, not to waver in our faith, nor compromise in our biblical values. I can't stress that enough. Uh, let's, let's stay steadfast in our relationship with the Father as we put to remembrance the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. For too long, I believe uh, that the church has been this sleeping giant. For too long, I, I believe that Christians have uh, allowed themselves to sway a bit with culture. Some of you are nodding your heads and other, others are kind of like saying, I don't know if I want to say anything this morning. But it's true. And so we, we must not waver in our faith. We must not waver in biblical values. We must not waver when it comes to the things of God. And that's why I constantly tell people, our congregation, and anywhere that I am given an opportunity to speak, I always tell folks, listen, it is vital, it is crucial to develop a daily walk with God, a daily communion with God. Why? Because don't, when you want to know someone, when you want to have a relationship with someone, what do you do? You spend time with them. You get to know them. You carve out time, no matter how busy your schedule is, no matter how many hours of the day you are busy, no matter, even if you have 19 kids, <laughs> serious, you know, it, it's the truth. You, you make time for the things that you want to make time for. Somebody say amen to that. You make time for who you want to spend time with. Amen. The other day, uh, our, our dear Harriet here reached out to me after service, and she said, you know, Pastor, I want to 
I want to, I'd love to have some coffee with you and, and just talk and get to know you a little better. And I, I love that. And I carved out time, okay? And not to say that I'm busier than anybody else. Listen, everybody has 24 hours in the day. Everybody. So if you think you're busier than the next person, well, maybe you do have a lot on your plate. I know I have a lot on my plate, but guess what? You make time for the things you want to make time for. So you make time for God. You carve out that time to spend with the Father and allow him to speak to you. Allow him to show you the beauties and the treasures of his word. That's what we need to do. And I'll say this, and I'll close that part. I know I'm kind of going a little bit on a rabbit trail, but I think it's important. I'll say this. When you get to know someone really well, when you have developed a strong relationship with someone, your spouse, your mother, your father, your friend, your best friend, whoever that might be, right, that you've gotten a chance to know them really well, when someone outside that circle comes in and tries to tell you something about that person, you can detect whether it's a lie or not. And you can say, you know what? I know them. I know that person. And what you're saying is false. Therefore, when we know the Father, when we know his word, when we know the values of the Bible, when we know deep down the Father's heart and what the Bible stands for, ain't no joker can come and tell us, Otherwise, because we will spot the lie and we will not waver in our faith. Amen. But you see, a lot of Christians nowadays don't have that relationship with the Father. They don't have a, 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 um, a, a true knowledge of the word. And when someone from the outside comes and says, oh, you know, this is okay. It's okay for uh, a man to now become a woman. It's okay for a woman to now become a man. Or whatever it might be outside the realm of who you know God is and what the word says, you can say, liar, yes. pants on fire. And I will not <laughs> waver to that false doctrine. Yes. Amen? So a lot, of, a lot of things that were happening in these seven churches were somewhat similar to what we're living now. So that's why I said last week that when you study what Jesus said to the seven churches, that we, when he comes with a rebuke and he comes pointing the finger and he says, you got to change this. You've got to change this. We need to heed, amen, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Okay, so let's get into it. Revelation 3, we read this last week. We're going to read it again today. But today, I want to read it to you from the Kenneth Wiest translation, New Testament Bible translation. You should have it up on your board, uh, hopefully. But this, it, for those of you that may not know this translation, this is the expanded translation which follows the Greek order of words in a sentence. And that's one of the reasons why I really like this, uh, this one. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Amplified because it amplifies it a little more. But what it does is that it places the emphasis where the inspired writer put it and brings out the, st the style of the original text. So we're going to read it here. You ready for this? Amen? Are you all still with me? Who had their breakfast this morning? 
Yeah? All right, good. You're awake. All right, it says, and to the messenger of the assembly in Sardis, write at once. Write at once. I want you to pay attention to some of these words that will stick out. Uh, I know some of you might want to read it on your app, and that's okay, or your Bible, that's okay. But if you follow along here, you'll notice that there are some words or phrases that stick out, okay? It's very rich. It says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know with absolute clearness your works. And that you have a reputation that you are alive, and yet you are dead. Be becoming watchful and alert, and stabilize at once the remaining things which were about to die. For I have found no works of yours that have been brought to a state of completeness in the sight of my God. But remembering, therefore, in what you have received, the truth as a permanent deposit. I love that. The truth as a permanent deposit. And in what way you heard it and be safeguarding it and have a change of mind at once. If then you do not watch, I will come like a thief, and you will by no means know what kind of an hour I will come upon you. But, listen to his words, but you have a few names in Sardis who did not defile their garments, and they, will, and they shall walk in fellowship with me in white garments because they are worthy. He who gains the victory shall in that manner be arrayed in white garments. And I will positively not erase his name from the scroll of the life. And I will openly confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear or hear, he who has ears in this case, let him hear at once what the Spirit is saying to the assemblies. Isn't that beautiful? All right, let's pray for just a moment. The baby does not bother me, hon. That's, that's a sound of life. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you that this church, this body of believers are receptive to your word and to your nudging and to your spirit. Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of truth, we invite you in this place. Have your way in the hearts and in the minds of every single person in this room. Lord, this is your temple. These are your people. So I thank you, Lord, that you use a broken vessel like me. You are the master. I am the clay. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And now may the meditation of my heart, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. And we pray this in the mighty and precious name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, Amen. So although the words of Jesus are strong and chastising, they should encourage us. Even though they are chastising and it's a rebuke, they should 
encourage us. Why? Because it shows that he's ever so watchful, that, that he loves us, that he cares so much for his church. He cares for his body of believers. He loves us so much that he can, like I said a minute ago, put his finger on those things that need correction and promises us, the overcomers, victory. So despite the difficulty in hearing some of these rebukes that we hear throughout these churches, in particular here in the church in Sardis, it is crucial for us to understand that it should encourage us because he loves us ever so. Amen? So let's quickly review some of the points we discussed last week just for the sake of reminding us what was spoken. So a church was planted in the midst of a very dark city, and that was all throughout these seven churches. If you really look at the history, my goodness, it was dark. These people were worshiping all sorts of deities, and they, were, they had temples raised up in all sorts of places. I mean, it was dark. Spiritually speaking, very, very dark. We talked about King Croesus. Y'all remember that? King Croesus and who he was and how he obtained his wealth uh, from the river Pactolus. There's a legend with King Midas connected to that. That was pretty interesting that we spoke about. We found out that the people of the city were very proud, pompous people, and they felt that their city was impenetrable. Amen. Yet, they didn't realize that they had cracks in their foundations and in their walls, which ended up becoming their demise, okay? We applied that to us in our daily walk, amen? This is what was happening to the Christians in Sardis as well. So, see, they were not immune to the fact that this was seeping into the church. These attitudes, these mindsets were seeping into the church. Hello, <laughs> are we not seeing that? right? So Jesus comes with a serious rebuke. This church thought that they were alive. Oh, they had the best sound equipment. Oh, they had awesome fog machines. Oh, they had banners galore. They were rich. They looked good. They were fine going with the status quo, but Jesus tells them, that they were spiritually dead. Can you imagine? So he goes on to tell them to wake up. He tells them twice to wake up and to repent, lest he comes to them like a thief in the night. There are five commands given by Jesus to the church in Sardis, if you want to jot those down. It was be watchful and alert. It was wake up. It was remember your teaching. It was hold fast or safeguard what they have heard, what they had been taught to safeguard it. And we got to safeguard the word of God. Amen. Like I said a moment ago, if when we do that, when we realize that we've got to safeguard God's word and we know God's word, we will not be swayed. Amen. And lastly, repent. Okay. This is a common theme. When Jesus warns them that he would come like a thief in the night, uh, what Jesus was referring to here is that if they didn't repent, he would be sending sudden judgment. Sudden judgment. You see, our Father 
is a God of mercy and grace. Amen. Amen. And we love singing and preaching and talking about that. But our God is not to be mocked either. Our God is not to be mocked. And we cannot play on both sides. Can I get an amen or at least an ouch? <laughs> Much like we as parents, right, have to straighten out our children at times. Why? When they get out of hand, why? Because we love them. We want the best for them. And that's what God wants for us. And Hebrews 12, 6 actually says, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Hallelujah. And chastises every son whom he receives. Now, Revelation 3, 1 says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I want to give you a little mini teaching here with regards to that because I know that sometimes we brush through scripture and we don't understand uh, some of the things that are said. But the seven spirits of God may sound a little bit confusing to some, Right? However, simply put, Jesus is describing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. I know this church is not shy to speak of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. So don't misunderstand this phrase. It's not about God saying uh, or God having seven spirits. Okay. This is a direct reference to the Old Testament. So when Jesus says that the one who has the seven spirits, the one who has the seven spirits, this is what he's referring to in Isaiah 11.2. It gives a description of the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important for us to know. Why does Jesus begin to tell the church in Sardis? He describes himself this way. We're going to go there in just a minute. But watch what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus 700 years before his birth, saying that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And then he goes on to describe the seven attributes of the spirit. Okay. The Bible refers to the number seven on many occasions. Seven indicates completion, fullness, perfection. Okay, something important to understand is that the King James version of this verse, it mentions six out of the seven attributes of the Spirit of God. However, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, have you heard of the Septuagint? You will find the seventh attribute, which is godliness mentioned right before the fear of the Lord. Let's go through it. It says, therefore, the Spirit, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, therefore, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is wisdom. You should have it up there. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might or strength in some translations, knowledge, godliness, and the fear of the Lord. So consequently, by Jesus mentioning at the beginning of the message to Sardis that he who has the seven spirits of God, what it does is that it sets up a tone for this church in particular. As they were in desperate need of all the seven manifestations of the spirit. How many of you know that we all need the manifestation of the fullness of the Holy Spirit operating in our daily lives? Amen. We need his wisdom. How many of you have been in a difficult decision, in a difficult um, 
you know, time in your life when you need to make a hard decision and you ask God for wisdom. Amen? We, we should ask for his wisdom at all times. But we need to operate in his wisdom. He gives us wisdom. Amen? We need it. This church in Sardis needed his wisdom. Okay? And we have to have understanding. Understanding of what? Understanding of who God is. His heart. His word. His will. We have to know. We have to understand the Father's heart. We need his counsel. Amen? We need his counsel. You know, it's, it's, it's good to reach out to a brother or sister in the Lord or to a pastor, to a minister, and seek counsel. Uh, I would encourage you to do so. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you when you want counsel, when you want godly counsel, be sure that it is a person who follows the things of God and not some clown over in the, you know, in your workplace that has no idea who God is. They're going to give you bad advice. They're going to give you bad counsel. And then you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, so-and-so, I kind of trust them, I'll follow along. No! Get with someone who is spirit-filled, someone who has godly counsel, someone that you can see the fruit in their life. Hello. The fruit. Look out for the fruit. Talk to your pastors. Reach out to them. Amen. We need his counsel. We need his supernatural might and strength to pull us together when we're going through the fire. And there are many times in our lives that we go through fires. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. And I'm not saying to look for a demon under every corner. Sometimes it's the enemy and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the things that this world throws at us. Sometimes it's our own mess up. Sometimes it's our own doing. But what do we need? We need his might. We need his strength. Amen? Amen. And we have to have knowledge of his word. And we must walk in godliness and holiness. Goodness gracious. That is not preached about as many times as it should. We need to walk in holiness. And in godliness, do you understand if you go to the Old Testament and that just, just because that's the Old Testament doesn't mean that it is, it's, it's a whitewash now. It's not, we do away with the Old Testament. No, it's a foundation. It's a foundation. And God took holiness very serious and he still does so today. Holiness and godliness. And we must never forget the fear of the Lord because guess what? It is the beginning. It is the beginning. Thank you for the three of you that have read that scripture. It is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm just teasing you all. So why is this important for us to know? Because if we do not live this way, we can easily succumb to some of the pitfalls that these churches mentioned in the book of Revelation fell into. And then the story begins to repeat itself over and over and over again. And then we wonder, why am I in this pit? 
Well, maybe you went and you dug it yourself. Yeah? Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Thank you for the ouches. I say that myself. Verse 2 says, wake up. In the Kenneth Weiss, it says, be becoming watchful and alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. So you see, there were some things that were dead already because he said, you are dead. But then he says, there are some things that were about, remember the things that are, that remain, that were about to die. There were some things that were still, they, there was still hope. There was still hope. There were remaining things, but they were about to die. And he says, for I have not found your deeds completed or perfect in the sight of my God. You see, they needed to strengthen or hold up the things that remained, the godly elements that were still there. The godly elements that were still there because if they didn't put an end to the nonsense or seal up the foundational opening, they were about to lose it all. And then in verse 3, Jesus requires of them to remember what they have received and heard and to keep it, to safeguard it, and to repent, have a change of mind at once. In other words, do it now. Don't wait for tomorrow or the next day or next month. Don't put off what you need to change do it now. And so the Holy Spirit is telling us whatever it is that we need to change, let's do it now. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised five minutes from now. Something could hit us. Whatever it is, something can happen. And we lost our chance. Amen? Don't put off what we need to change to, 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 to the next day. So the message to the church in Ephesus, if you have read that before in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus was calling on them to remember where they came from. They had lost their first love. He tells them, remember Put to remembrance where you came from. And now here in Sardis, the same message was coming to this church. And, and uh, we just, Pastor Ricky and I at our church, we just uh, finished a series this past month uh, entitled, uh, I think I said it last week, Don't Forget to Remember. That was the series that we had. And you know, God talks about that. Over and over and over again, one of the things that I love to teach on and preach on many times, are, it's the feasts of the Lord. Why? Because he wants us to recall those things that were. He wants us to recall his goodness. He wants us to recall what he did in times past. And he would tell the, the Israelites, remember, remember that I took you out of Egypt. Amen. And that's just not for the Jewish people. That's just not for those people in, in the Israelites. That's for us today. Remember what he's taken us out of. 
You know, put to remembrance what he's taken you out of. There are many, many, many people that have gone through drugs and, and violence and all sorts of things. And God has pulled you out of that. Remember it. And that's where you need to safeguard those things that remain. Those things that he has done for you. Remember them. Because we easily forget. Amen? Alright, I'll try to go quickly here. So they had forgotten who they were. What God did in their lives. Where they came out of. What they came out of. They were living in past memories, no longer experiencing the same passions as before. They had become spiritually dead and they needed to revive. They needed to set aflame the part that was still remaining. And I believe that this is a wake-up call for the church of Jesus in these latter days. Let's not fall into the same trap. Let's not fall into the same trap. Let us all continue to keep that flame, that passion for Christ in our hearts and our daily lives every single day. How do we do that when everything is hitting us from every direction? Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Oh, Pastor, you know that's kind of easy. Come on, there's got to be something deeper. Well, get deep in his word. Spend a little more time with him each and every day. Allow the spirit of God to speak to you. To show you. You know, he reveals God's word in a beautiful way if you hear him, if you let him. Amen? So there was still hope. He calls them to wake up and repent. And like we said last week, Jesus also always gives us the opportunity to repent. He always gives us that opportunity to self-correct. You see, there is always hope. Amen? There is always hope. There, Listen, there is hope for those that you have been interceding for. There is hope for those that appear hopeless. In your eyes. But they're not hopeless in God's eyes. There is hope. There is still yet hope for you. Amen. I'll say amen. Hallelujah. There is hope for us. There is always hope. If you would just put your trust in Jesus. Whatever you're carrying. Leave it at his feet. Do it about face. And follow him wholeheartedly once and for all. We're not, listen to me, we're not promised a bed of roses just because you're a Christian. We're not. But we are promised that he will never leave us. And he will never forget, forsake us. So, And he will never forget us as well. He will never forsake us and he will never leave us. So although we are going through the valley of the shadow of death, although we are in a valley moment, although we are in a gray moment, or like the pastor spoke of a couple of weeks ago, a dark moment in our lives, 
He is with you. He's with you. So if the church in Sardis failed to wake up and repent, he would come like a thief and they would not know when. To clarify, Jesus is not a thief. Amen. Amen. What is meant here is that he would show up in a manner of a thief. The word actually describes someone who operates in a secretive-like manner. One who's not easily detected. And I want to quote again, I did this last week, but I want to quote again from Rick Renner. He puts it into perspective. He actually says... Jesus was telling the believers in Sardis, if you don't take my warning seriously and make the decision to wake up and take action, if you consequently keep doing what I've told you not to do, then I will begin moving in the church in a self-operation. Little by little, piece by piece, I will begin dealing with you in a different way. You may not see me march through the door of the church or walk down the aisle, but I will be there like a thief operating in a stealth manner. He then says, pertaining to the hour, because Jesus says an hour, he says, this word describes an hour, a season, a point in time or a predetermined time period. It expresses a limited time of opportunity. Listen. Thus, Jesus was saying, a date has been set. I'm giving you this amount of time to obey my words and self-correct. If you don't take action, the time has been set when I will have to show up and begin a self-operation inside the church to deal with you in a different way. Come on. Come on. Wow. You see, when Jesus tells this church in Sardis the phrase, I will come like a thief, they were fully aware of what he meant. How? As stated last week, the ancient city of Sardis, just 500 years earlier, Okay, fell into invaders due to its negligence to the deterioration of their foundation and walls. Remember? The inhabitants were cocky. They were arrogant and prideful, thinking that no one could penetrate their city. They were caught completely unaware of the foundational problem due to their overconfidence. They were in fact invaded in a moment in time when they least expected it. And before they knew it, they were surrounded. So Jesus was giving them a clear picture of what he meant. The same way that King Cyrus's troops showed up undetected, Jesus himself was about to make an entrance in the church and deal with them. You see the correlation? Watch this. Jesus moves slow toward judgment. A lot of people think that God is, you know, God is a God of judgment and fire and brimstone and all this stuff and he wants to just pour out his judgment on his people. That's not who God is. 
He's a loving God. He's a loving Father. And He is slow towards judgment. Before taking action, He sends a deliberate message to the believers in Sardis. So He gives us that opportunity. It's not like Jesus comes in there and... Too late, so sorry. He doesn't do that. He gives us opportunity. Amen? So how do we know this? When we read the detailed description, this is so good. This is when, when the Lord began to reveal this to me. This, this is so good. When we read the detailed description the Apostle John had in chapter 1 of the resurrected Christ in verse 15. You can go back to it later. But it actually states, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Do you, guys, do you guys remember reading that? If you get an opportunity, go back to chapter one of the book of Revelation and see the amazing description that John gives us of the resurrected Christ because they mean something. They mean something. So it says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Watch this. In its purest form, bronze is quite heavy. It also symbolizes judgment in scripture. This description shows us that Christ was prepared to bring judgment if necessary. The depiction of his feet like burnished bronze, which is a heavy metal, gives us a picture that he is walking slow towards judgment. Can you see that? Slow towards judgment. I don't know about you, but that, those kind of things excite me about God's word. That's a beautiful nugget. Can you see that? slow towards judgment. Nevertheless, if no repentance were to take place, then swift judgment would come. Are you seeing the beauty in God's word? Isn't that how the Lord deals with us? Isn't that how the Holy Spirit prompts us? If we're paying attention, we can hear his voice telling us that we need to adjust this or change that and he'll point right at the problem, the opening that we've allowed to take place in our lives, that hairline crack, that little compromise. So it would serve us well to adhere to God's leading and make corrections where we must. He is merciful, but he is also just. Amen. So, moving quickly here to bring this to a close, picking up in verse 4. Jesus clearly is clearly aware of those in Sardis who haven't submitted themselves to sin and compromise. He says this, but you have a few names, a few names in Sardis who did not defile their garments, and they shall walk in fellowship with me in white garments because they are worthy. What a beautiful promise. 
Notice the word, the use of the word names. Name. Here in verse 4, which is repeated in verse 5, pertaining to the name not being erased out of the scroll of the book of life. Once again, he is clearly stating the fact that he is watching and is fully knowledgeable of the things going on in our lives. This should cause us to carefully analyze our walk each day and to continue to strive for sanctification and holiness. That we too may be found worthy. Worthy. Walking in fellowship with him in white garments is promised to those who overcome. I want to be an overcomer. As Jesus shifts his attention to those who have remained pure and passionate for him, I want us to notice the word few. In the Greek it describes, oh, a little, a few, few in number. Then we come to the word soiled or defiled, which means to make dirty, to pollute, or to contaminate, to smear with mud. So this here is a picture of the effect of sin and acceptance of false doctrine that can contaminate a person. You see, in the last days, in these last days, there will be a falling away. The Bible talks about it. There will be a falling away of the truth. While there will be a remnant. A few. A few names. Of those who decide to remain faithful without allowing their garments to be contaminated by this world. Despite the few in numbers, I believe this remnant will be strong, will be a strong force for Christ in these last days. We will be strong and courageous because we will not waver. I believe that a remnant is rising up. Amen. That a sleeping giant, that sleeping giant is being awakened. Hallelujah. We've been seeing some revivals come to pass as of late. Have we not? Yes. May they continue. Yes. May there be those ten revivals of all. Why not? May we have to put up a huge tent right here in this facility and have service after service after service after service. See people be changed and transformed and give their lives to Jesus once and for all. Revival. May it start by us, just a few in number. We will impact we will make an imprint. We will make an impact in this world for Jesus. For the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So here's a word for us today. Son, daughter, 
of the Most High God. Wake up and take your place as a child of the one true living God, Jehovah, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, the only one, the only true living God. Wake up and change your atmosphere. Get up and stand up against the ungodly society and culture that we are currently living in, no matter what state or city you are in. It is dark. It is dark out there. Get up and stand up with God's moral laws rather than man's. Wake up and take back your God-given authority that the enemy has held on for way too long. Make a radical change, you righteous remnant of God. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Get up on your feet and give him praise this morning. Stand in your feet and praise the living God. The one true God. You can remain standing as we bring this to a close. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus says in Matthew 24 to make sure that no one misleads us. That no one deceives us. And he warns us that lawlessness will increase and that most people's love will grow cold. Are we there? This isn't something new. This is how we're living. This is our culture. This is our world. And it's not just here in the United States, although, my goodness, have we gone to a decline. It's all over the world. It's spread everywhere. Watch what he says, though. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We are witnessing these very words even as we speak. Do not be deceived. Do not cave in. Do not waver in your faith. Don't trust in riches. The Lord says here, don't trust in your careers, how much money you have in the bank. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, God is saying, do away with past hearts. Do away with them. They're hard, yes they are, but give it to him the one that can restore, the one that can heal, the one that can come in like a physician and heal that wound that we've been carrying for too long. Sometimes we like carrying those things. I don't know for what reason, but it's baggage and God wants to deal with it today. In closing, Jesus gives us four promises to the overcomer. Everyone say four promises. He promises that we will walk with him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to walk with you, Abba. And you alone. 
And then number two, not just walk with Jesus, Jesus, but we'll be walking with him in white garments. The color white is significant because it means brilliant. It means dazzling, especially bright or brilliant. In other words, without spot or wrinkle. As Ephesians 5.27 says, he might, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's the church. And then he will not blot out our name out of the book of life. I gave a teaching some time ago on the heavenly books. It's a beautiful teaching. And it included the book of life. And then also he promises Jesus will confess your name before the Father and his angels. What beautiful promises, amen. For those who overcome, for those who remain steadfast, for those who are faithful to him. Lift up your hands this evening as we bring this to a close. What are our takeaways? Holy Spirit, you've shown us so much our takeaways from this message to the church in Sardis. We need to keep checking ourselves and be sure that we are on track, on the right track in our relationship with Him. To keep our hearts humble before Him and resist being proudful. Check for any cracks in our foundation and be quick to close them up. How do we do that? We ask Him for help. And we turn away from it. And we don't commit the same thing over and over again. The other thing is be watchful. Stay alert. Keep awake. Keep the things that God has taught us. And strengthen ourselves with them. Number four, keep a heart of repentance. Number five, Jesus is faithful to keep his promises. Don't waver. Keep the faith. One day. One day, we will walk together with him clothed in white. Can you glorify his name forever? Hallelujah. As you're in a spirit of prayer right now, I am going to ask you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, either you have never committed your life to him, opened up your heart and asked him to come in, or you have in the past and you know you're not walking right with him, you haven't surrendered everything to him and you want to do that this morning, lift up your hand really high. I want to see that hand because I'm going to pray for you. If that's you this morning, would you raise it high? Say, I want, a, I want a relationship with Christ or I want to recommit my walk with Him. Would you say this prayer? Heavenly Father, I open up my heart to you now. I ask you to come in. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my king. I invite you. I invite the Holy Spirit in my life. Holy Spirit, bring me revelation of the word of God. And Lord, I promise to serve you every day of my life. Forgive me of my sins, for they are many. Wash me white as snow, because your word says so. And I thank you for this in Jesus mighty name. I'm going to ask
ask you if you need prayer this morning. I know we came up for prayer earlier, but if there's anything in particular that you want to surrender to Christ this morning, our prayer partners are going to come up for just a few moments. I know we've gotten gone long a little, little this morning, but that's okay. The Spirit of God is here. Amen? Amen? Thank you, Holy Spirit. So we're going to open up the altars. If there's anyone that wants to come for prayer, we're here for you. If there's something in your life you're dealing with and you want to surrender it to God once and for all, you want rid of it, whatever it might be. Worry. Maybe you're a worrier. You're constantly worrying about things. Maybe you've got fear about something that might happen. It might never come to pass, but you're fearful of it. If you're deal, dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with fear, if you're de dealing with past hurt, you know, I, 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 I know that, that so many people have gone through church hurt. We spoke about that last, last week. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever the Holy Spirit is stirring in your spirit, man, right now, come on up for just a few moments, and we're going to pray for you. Amen.